welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today we're continuing our discussion with Nick Johnson from Singapore. And in this session, we learn about how a simple video in 2019 catapulted him and this issue into the public eye. And then how the years of the pandemic helped to bring a lot of these issues to the surface so that people were somewhat more comfortable about talking about the issues that he is addressing these days. But so what happened then when I raised, started this fund and raised money for it and awareness, I made a video in 2019 that I posted on LinkedIn and it went viral. Before I knew it, uh, it, had, it spiraled and it went crazy. I couldn't believe people were writing from all over the world, but especially in Singapore because I was one of the first and at this time to speak up about it. Before I knew it, I was live on radio talking about it and they asked me all sorts of questions and I started to reveal more and more. And then actually there was a four page feature of me and my story and some other executives in a business magazine here in Singapore. And as far as I know, that at the time was the biggest mental health piece ever published in Singapore. So I was right at the forefront opening up this topic that was so full of stigma that it was even illegal until that point to talk about it. Nick, I think what you're doing is amazing and so, so relevant and it's going to help lots of people. Looking back, if any of our listeners who might identify one of those people who just about to go through a crisis because of all the things that you said, any tips what they should look out for and how to approach it so it helped the person and not interfere? Well, the most important here is to decide to talk to someone. So in my case, I was ill until I decided to tell someone. I told my uh, new wife who had just married then and uh, she even didn't know. She was by my side and I was hiding it so well that she didn't even know that I was going through a very difficult time internally. So when I told her, immediately I started to feel better and she immediately said let's go to a doctor and I told the doctor and I felt better after I shared with the doctor then we went to a common friend who had had some issues before and I shared with this person so within a few days everything was looking bright again so that loneliness that I had been holding on to so long was just gone so no matter where you are at this if you're suffering yourself tell someone don't keep it secret and if you don't feel like you can tell family member a friend then there's so many support hotlines there's anonymous support groups it doesn't matter really who you, who you talk to the keys just get started and open up and, and in terms of that if we've got someone listening who feels like okay i need to talk to someone what are the words they use to start because i, I teach public speaking and i'll often say to people the best thing you can do is find a phrase that you use for every speech you make. Because once you've said that, you know that you're on the path. So what is this person going to use as their opening sentence, I guess? I think it doesn't matter as long as they okay. are just saying anything here. It's just about making the commitment to share with someone and perhaps make it in a place and a setting where they are comfortable. And I think that is the most important, and especially for men. I realized we have difficulty with eye contact. So if you want to face someone over lunch or a coffee or a dinner, then maybe you're not going to speak. Mm. And maybe also there's someone else at the restaurant. The best, according to me, is to go for a walk together, 
drive in a car together or cycle or do something where you actually go out and walk because then you don't need the eye contact. So then it's not so important what you say, but then naturally you're on a journey together. If you go for a walk in the, in the forest or whatever, you walk side by side and then you can start to sharing a, a lot easier. If we can just stay on the less than positive note for a moment longer. So they do that. They do that, make that first effort and they don't get the response they, or, they, or they get a, a withdrawal of that person that they thought they could trust with this information. What's the next step? Just keep going, I guess. I, I know the, the answer is just keep, yeah, try somebody else. But how do they build themselves up for that, making themselves vulnerable again? Yeah, that's a great question, Kim, because not everyone perhaps might be ready to answer that and, and, and so on. So then try to seek some professional help. I mean, a doctor would listen if you're not feeling yeah. well yeah. They, or, or some of the support line dedicated for this. There will be something for any addiction and for uh, suicides, hotlines and so on. And they are trained, these people, and they can give you all the guidelines. And it's also anonymous, so there shouldn't be much stigma there. That's good. I just want to bring it forward a bit and talk about you've moved through that process. You've come to a point where you think, okay, I recognize these are the signs. I've got to do something about it. Is there a daily routine or a daily affirmation that you go through? Yes, it is. And I learned a lot in the, the recovery. So first was the, the, the basically I needed to get physically and well and mentally well and once that was over it was i wanted to work more about it because i didn't want to have should i say a relapse coming into this loneliness and, and going down again i wanted to build something up that is sustainable and that is only by working this on a daily basis kim of course humans have done this in generations and, and many are seeking perhaps to power greater than ourselves people are looking for religion or, com or, or clubs or so associations and society and i think we all need to belong somewhere because loneliness is perhaps if you isolate at home and sitting behind a computer all day so it doesn't really what you belong to but in my case now i'm trying to belong to some of these organizations that are related to mental health and so on and i'm volunteering there now so my way to do this on a daily basis is to give back and being there for the people who are going through a difficult time now, because then I'd be reminded how blessed and fortunate I am to have been pulled out of this. So it's a reminder to me to keep myself in shape. And also, it's a wonderful feeling to give back to people because then you deflate your ego and you get out of yourself. And that I found is my happy place. Is there a risk then if you are what? is termed these days the addictive personality that you get addicted to that adrenaline rush you get when you're doing something good when you know you've done something good and so you focus on that a little bit more than you should be on other things how do you I guess it is how do you get the balance yeah so I think that's a risk and I, I would say that's probably a good addiction in that case if, if we all we do is uh, yep. giving back to it's all helping people every day I think the world would be a wonderful place I would say I I, I haven't gone that far Kim I uh, I haven't made it my life should i say i made it a part of my daily routine but i also equally uh, am very keen to get uh, keep myself in shape physically so i exercise i try to do cycling and running and swimming to also keep myself in shape but also to socialize with people not only who are going through a difficult time because it can also be you mm -hmm. know quite draining to be in an environment where everyone is going through 
challenging time, perhaps many times with divorces or addictions and other issues. So it's important also to be a bit, you need to lift up yourself as well. Nick, did you find that some of the people, the colleagues that you worked with before that saw you being that person who was totally focused before the breakdown, say to speak, were surprised what happened with you? And did that encourage them to come to you and say, hey, I didn't know, and this is helping me? Did you get anybody like that? Well, some of them I know are still appreciating that I was so goal-driven that I really drove myself so hard and them so hard. Many people I worked with in, in various countries in Southeast Asia are today general directors themselves and in very, very senior, well-paid job. And they say it's thanks to how I, I trained them and how I supported them. And, and they looked at me and they wanted that as well. So most of them are actually very grateful and they didn't uh, see that I was down that path. It was indeed a few events such as a divorce and so on that made me really isolate myself. And the fact that I didn't talk about my issues at home with someone, that really was brought into the work until I, I felt you know lonely at the workplace and that led to the resignation. And with that, everything else fell down. So they didn't really see the bad parts of me. And many people were surprised though when I spoke up that I that I gone through a difficult time and they they didn't really see it happen. Yes, yeah. they saw that I gained some weight, they saw that I stopped exercising, but most people f- said at the time, Oh, good for you, Nick, that you're enjoying yourself. It's good to see you out eating restaurants, it's good to see you at the bar. Uh, yeah, it's good. You've been working too much. You deserve to relax, you know. So I think that's quite common in society also that we're happy with that. One of the questions that we asked you beforehand was about the last two years. And it's interesting that really the momentum for what you're doing started at the beginning of when we then went into a period of time across the world where we were isolated from one another or isolated physically, I guess, because we still had the opportunity to connect in other ways. The two-part question which I I sent before, do you think that 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 time of enforced isolation has made people be reflective? And then on the other part of it, do you think in some ways, particularly in terms of this, the the no eye contact or the not being able to talk about it in certain ways, that the that the remoteness of communication helped people to recognize it. Yes, and, and indeed, Kim, it was a, a very good timing from that perspective because I, I started to do a survey and started to write my book 2019 before the pandemic. And I did a survey then of senior executives in Singapore, and I found that 30% of them were suffering from, uh, from loneliness. And then I had opportunity to do the same survey a year later. So in the middle of the pandemic 2020, when most uh, countries were in lockdown. All these people were working from home. 59% then said that they were suffering from loneliness. So that means that I had doubled. So I think these numbers speak for themselves that, you mm-hmm. know, if you are a senior executive, that means that you are running a huge responsibility. All your colleagues are working from home. You're sitting at home trying to run this, perhaps a company in a crisis mode. Yes, people were suffering more. And uh, were they more open about this than before? Yes, I believe everyone was. We saw all this. It was suddenly okay to ask, are you okay? It came to the forefront and I was giving my keynote talk almost every second day to every business organization, to companies who had all the teams working at home who wanted to have staff gatherings and company talks. 
I was giving this, you know, Friday morning, all hands meetings and so on. People were willing finally to listen to this. So this kickstart, of course, my campaign for this. And that also had then had the potential to throw you back into a, a routine that pushed you to the limit in terms of what you were doing and, and trying, you know, knowing that the opportunity was there and trying to reach as many people as possible and, and go back onto the path of overwork. I recognise without the loneliness so much, but certainly the overwork side of it and the and the associated stress of having to get the message out, knowing how important it was and that were people were ready to hear it. So how did you pull back the reins, I guess, and control yourself a bit during that period of time? It's a great reflection, Kim, and I'm glad you spotted that because indeed I could feel the pressure there. I could feel the urgency. Uh, there were, I was also on more media interviews, more newspaper articles, and there was a lot of write-up. What I had learned during this time was not to just sit on that pressure by myself. So what I did instead, I contacted someone like yourself, almost Kim, a public speaking coach, someone who had herself a fantastic TEDx talk, which she had developed, and she was uh, specializing in helping executives to give presentations. So I hired her as my coach. And I basically worked with her for my first talk. And I think I allowed myself a month or so to prepare. And we worked back and forth. And I recorded my talk. She helped me to coach me. After each talk, we would have a debrief and she would guide me. So at least I didn't feel alone. I certainly felt the pressure, but I didn't feel alone. And I had someone who was there and holding my hand and helping me get better during this time. That's good. And it's interesting that often I find that that is the, the trigger that people will pick on something that they know they need to improve and work on that rather than keep pushing themselves in the areas that they know about and, and is their comfortable zone, I get. So make themselves a little bit uncomfortable in one area or reassures them that they can then talk about something that they're really uncomfortable about. We'll take a break now in our discussion with Nick Johnson. Join us for the final part of this really interesting coverage of what to do about loneliness in the senior executive roles. For now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. Mm-hmm. 